Hello and welcome to Leftist Reading, a podcast where I'm a leftist and I read things. Today we're continuing with Mao's On Practice and Contradiction, and today we're getting to the On Contradiction chapter, which is a good bit longer, so we'll definitely not fit in this episode. But we'll at least be starting it off. So, let's go ahead. Chapter 4, On Contradiction, August 1937. This essay on philosophy was written by Comrade Mao Zedong after his essay on practice, and with the same object of overcoming the serious error of dogmatist thinking to be found in the party at the time. Originally delivered as lectures at the Anti-Japanese Military and Political College in Yunnan, it was revised by the author on its inclusion in his selected works. The law of contradiction in things, that is, the law of the unity of opposites, is the basic law of materialist dialectics. Lenin said, Dialectics, in the proper sense, is the study of contradiction in the very essence of objects. Footnote 1. Lenin often called this law the essence of dialectics. He also called it the kernel of dialectics. Footnote 2. In studying this law, therefore, we cannot but touch upon a variety of questions, upon a number of philosophical problems. If we can become clear on all these problems, we shall arrive at a fundamental understanding of materialist dialectics. The problems are the two-world outlooks, the universality of contradiction, the particularity of contradiction, the principal contradiction and the principal aspect of a contradiction, the identity and struggle of the aspects of a contradiction, and the place of antagonism in contradiction. The criticism to which the idealism of the Deborin school has been subjected in Soviet philosophical circles in recent years has aroused great interest among us. Deborin's idealism has exerted a very bad influence in the Chinese Communist Party, and it cannot be said that the dogmatist thinking in our party is unrelated to the approach of that school. Our present study of philosophy should therefore have the eradication of dogmatist thinking as its main objective. Section 1. The Two World Outlooks Throughout the history of human knowledge, there have been two conceptions concerning the law of development of the universe, the metaphysical conception and the dialectical conception, which form two opposing world outlooks. Lenin said, quote, The two basic, or two possible, or two historically observable, conceptions of development, evolution, are development as decrease and increase, as repetition, and development as a unity of opposites, the division of a unity into mutually exclusive opposites and their reciprocal relation. End quote. Footnote 3. Here, Lenin was referring to these two different world outlooks. In China, another name for metaphysics is Xuanxie. For a long period in history, whether in China or in Europe, this way of thinking, which is part and parcel of the idealist world outlook, occupied a dominant position in human thought. In Europe, the materialism of the bourgeoisie in its early days was also metaphysical. As the social economy of many European countries advanced to the stage of highly developed capitalism, as the forces of production, the class struggle, and the sciences developed to a level unprecedented in history, and as the industrial proletariat 
became the greatest motive force in historical development, there arose the Marxist world outlook of materialist dialectics. Then, in addition to open and barefaced reactionary idealism, vulgar evolutionism emerged among the bourgeoisie to oppose materialist dialectics. The metaphysical or vulgar evolutionist world outlook sees things as isolated, static, and one-sided. It regards all things in the universe, their forms and their species, as eternally isolated from one another and immutable. Such change as there is can only be an increase or decrease in quantity, or a change of place. Moreover, the cause of such an increase or decrease, or change of place, is not inside things but outside them. That is, the motive force is external. Metaphysicians hold that all the different kinds of things in the universe and all their characteristics have been the same ever since they came into being. All subsequent changes have simply been increases or decreases in quantity. They contend that a thing can only keep on repeating itself as the same kind of thing and cannot change into anything different. In their opinion, capitalist exploitation, capitalist competition, and the individualist ideology of capitalist society, and so on, can all be found in ancient slave society, or even in primitive society and will exist forever unchanged. They ascribe the causes of social development to factors external to society, such as geography and climate. They search, in an oversimplified way, outside a thing for the causes of its development, and they deny the theory of materialist dialectics, which holds that development arises from the contradictions inside a thing. Consequently, they can explain neither the qualitative diversity of things nor the phenomenon of one quality changing into another. In Europe, this mode of thinking existed as mechanical materialism in the 17th and 18th centuries, and as vulgar evolutionism at the end of the 19th and the beginning of the 20th centuries. In China, there was the metaphysical thinking exemplified in the saying, Heaven changeth not, likewise the Tao changeth not. Footnote 4. And it was supported by the decadent feudal ruling classes for a long time. Mechanical materialism and vulgar evolutionism, which were imported from Europe in the last hundred years, are supported by the bourgeoisie. As opposed to the metaphysical world outlook, the world outlook of materialist dialectics holds that in order to understand the development of a thing, we should study it internally, and in its relations with other things. In other words, the development of things should be seen as their internal and necessary self-movement. While each thing in its development is interrelated to and interacts on the things around it. The fundamental cause of the development of a thing is not external but internal. It lies in the contradictoriness within the thing. There is internal contradiction in every single thing, hence its motion and development. Contradictoriness within a thing is the fundamental cause of its development, while its interrelations and interactions with other things are secondary causes. Thus, materialist dialectics effectively combats the theory of external causes, or of an external motive force, advanced by metaphysical mechanical materialism and vulgar evolutionism. It is evident that purely external causes can only give rise to mechanical motion, that is, 
to changes in scale or quantity, but cannot explain why things differ qualitatively in thousands of ways and why one thing changes into another. As a matter of fact, even mechanical motion under external force occurs through the internal contradictoriness of things. Simple growth in plants and animals, their quantitative development, is likewise chiefly the result of their internal contradictions. Similarly, social development is due chiefly not only to external but to internal causes. Countries with almost the same geographical and climatic conditions display great diversity and unevenness in their development. Moreover, great social changes may take place in one and the same country, although its geography and climate remain unchanged. Imperialist Russia changed into the Socialist Soviet Union, and feudal Japan, which had locked its doors against the world, changed into imperialist Japan, although no change occurred in the geography and climate of either country. Long dominated by feudalism, China has undergone great changes in the last hundred years, and is now changing in the direction of a new China, liberated and free. And yet no change has occurred in her geography and climate. Changes do take place in the geography and climate of the Earth as a whole, and in every part of it, but they are insignificant when compared with changes in society. Geographical and climatic changes manifest themselves in terms of tens of thousands of years, while social changes manifest themselves in thousands, hundreds, or tens of years, and even in a few years or months in times of revolution. According to materialist dialectics, changes in nature are due chiefly to the development of the internal contradictions in nature. Changes in society are due chiefly to the development of the internal contradictions in society. That is, the contradiction between the productive forces and the relations of production. The contradiction between classes and the contradiction between the old and the new. It is the development of these contradictions that pushes society forward and gives the impetus for the supersession of the old society by the new. Does materialist dialectics exclude external causes? Not at all. It holds that external causes are the conditions of change and internal causes are the basis of change, and that external causes become operative through internal causes. In a suitable temperature, an egg changes into a chicken. But no temperature can change a stone into a chicken, because each has a different basis. There is constant interaction between the peoples of different countries. In the era of capitalism, and especially in the area of imperialism and proletarian revolution, the interaction and mutual impact of different countries in the political, economic, and cultural spheres are extremely great. The October Socialist Revolution ushered in a new epoch in world history as well as in Russian history. It exerted influence on internal changes in the other countries in the world, and, similarly and in a particularly profound way, on internal changes in China. These changes, however, were affected through the inner laws of development of these countries, China included. In battle, one army is victorious and the other is defeated. Both the victory and the defeat are determined by internal causes. The one is victorious either because it is strong or because of its competent generalship, the other is vanquished either because it is weak or because of its incompetent generalship. It is through internal causes that external causes become operative. In China in 1927, 
the defeat of the proletariat by the big bourgeoisie came about through the opportunism then to be found within the Chinese proletariat itself, inside the Chinese Communist Party. When we liquidated this opportunism, the Chinese Revolution resumed its advance. Later, the Chinese Revolution again suffered severe setbacks at the hands of the enemy, because adventurism had risen within our party. But when we liquidated this adventurism, our cause advanced once again. Thus, it can be seen that to lead the revolution to victory, a political party must depend on the correctness of its own political line and the solidity of its own organization. The dialectical world outlook emerged in ancient times both in China and in Europe. Ancient dialectics, however, had a somewhat spontaneous and naive character. In the social and historical conditions then prevailing, it was not yet able to form a theoretical system. Hence, it could not fully explain the world and was supplanted by metaphysics. The famous German philosopher Hegel, who lived in the late 18th and early 19th centuries, made most important contributions to dialectics. But his dialectics was idealist. It was not until Marx and Engels, the great protagonists of the proletarian movement, had synthesized the positive achievements in the history of human knowledge and, in particular, critically absorbed the rational elements of Hegelian dialectics and created the theory of dialectical and historical materialism that an unprecedented revolution occurred in the history of human knowledge. This theory was further developed by Lenin and Stalin, as soon as it spread to China, it wrought tremendous changes in the world of Chinese thought. This dialectical world outlook teaches us primarily how to observe and analyze the movement of opposites in different things, and, on the basis of such analysis, to indicate the methods for resolving contradictions. It is therefore most important for us to understand the law of contradiction in things in a concrete way. Section 2. The Universality of Contradiction For convenience of exposition, I shall deal first with the universality of contradiction and then proceed to the particularity of contradiction. The reason is that the universality of contradiction can be explained more briefly, for it has been widely recognized ever since the materialist dialectical world outlook was discovered and materialist dialectics applied with outstanding success to analyzing many aspects of human history and natural history, and to changing many aspects of society and nature, as in the Soviet Union, by the great creators and continuers of Marxism, Marx, Engels, Lenin, and Stalin. Whereas the particularity of contradiction is still not clearly understood by many comrades, and especially by the dogmatists, they do not understand that it is precisely in the particularity of contradiction that the universality of contradiction resides, nor do they understand how important is the study of the particularity of contradiction in the concrete things confronting us for guiding the course of revolutionary practice. Therefore, it is necessary to stress the study of the particularity of contradiction and to explain it at adequate length. For this reason, in our analysis of the law of contradiction in things, we shall first analyze the universality of contradiction, then place special stress on analyzing the particularity of contradiction, and finally return to the universality of contradiction. The universality or absoluteness of contradiction has a twofold meaning. 
One is that contradiction exists in the process of development of all things, and the other is that in the process of development of each thing, a movement of opposites exists from beginning to end. Engels said, motion itself is a contradiction. Footnote 5. Lenin defined the law of the unity of opposites as the recognition discovery, of the contradictory, mutually exclusive, opposite tendencies in all phenomena and processes of nature, including mind and society. Footnote 6. Are these ideas correct? Yes, they are. The interdependence of the contradictory aspects present in all things and the struggle between these aspects determine the life of all things and push their development forward. There is nothing that does not contain contradiction. Without contradiction, nothing would exist. Contradiction is the basis of the simple forms of motion, for instance, mechanical motion, and still more so of the complex forms of motion. Engels explained the universality of contradiction as follows. Quote, if simple mechanical change of place contains a contradiction, this is even more true of the higher forms of motion of matter, and especially of organic life and its development. Life consists precisely and primarily in this, that a being is at each moment itself and yet something else. Life is therefore also a contradiction which is present in things and processes themselves, and which constantly originates and resolves itself. And as soon as the contradiction ceases, life too comes to an end, and death steps in. We likewise saw that also in the sphere of thought we could not escape contradictions, and that, for example, the contradiction between man's inherently unlimited capacity for knowledge and its actual presence only in men who are externally limited and possess limited cognition finds its solution in what is, at least practically for us, an endless succession of generations, in infinite progress. One of the basic principles of higher mechanics is the contradiction that in certain circumstances, straight lines and curves may be the same. But even lower mathematics teems with contradictions. End quote. Footnote 7. Lenin illustrated the universality of contradiction as follows. Quote, in mathematics, plus sign and negative sign, differential and integral, in mechanics, action and reaction, in physics, positive and negative electricity, in chemistry, the combination and dissociation of atoms, in social science, the class struggle. End quote. Footnote 8. In war, offense and defense, advance and retreat, victory and defeat, are all mutually contradictory phenomena. One cannot exist without the other. The two aspects are at once in conflict and in interdependence. And this constitutes the totality of a war, pushes its development forward and solves its problems. Every difference in men's concepts should be regarded as reflecting an objective contradiction. Objective contradictions are reflected in subjective thinking, and this process constitutes the contradictory movement of concepts, pushes forward the development of thought, and ceaselessly solves the problems in man's thinking. Opposition and struggle between ideas of different kinds constantly occur within the party. 
This is a reflection within the party of contradictions between classes, and between the new and the old in society. If there were no contradictions in the party, and no ideological struggles to resolve them, the party's life would come to an end. Thus, it is already clear that contradiction exists universally and in all processes, whether in the simple or in the complex forms of motion, whether in objective phenomena or ideological phenomena. But does contradiction also exist at the initial stage of each process? Is there a movement of opposites, from beginning to end, in the process of development of every single thing? As can be seen from the articles written by Soviet philosophers criticizing it, the Deberin school maintains that contradiction appears not at the inception of a process, but only when it has developed to a certain stage. If this were the case, then the cause of the development of the process before that stage would be external and not internal. Deborin thus reverts to the metaphysical theories of external causality and of mechanism. Applying this view in the analysis of concrete problems, the Deborin school sees only differences but not contradictions between the kulaks and the peasants in general under existing conditions in the Soviet Union, thus entirely agreeing with Bukharin. In analyzing the French Revolution, it holds that before the revolution there were likewise only differences but not contradictions within the third estate, which was composed of the workers, the peasants, and the bourgeoisie. These views of the Deborin school are anti-Marxist. This school does not understand that each and every difference already contains contradiction, and that difference itself is contradiction. Labor and capital have been in contradiction ever since the two classes came into being, only at first the contradiction had not yet become intense. Even under the social conditions existing in the Soviet Union, there is a difference between workers and peasants, and this very difference is a contradiction. Although, unlike the contradiction between labor and capital, it will not become intensified into antagonism or assume the form of a class struggle. The workers and the peasants have established a firm alliance in the course of socialist construction, and are gradually resolving the contradiction in the course of the advance from socialism to communism. The question is one of different kinds of contradiction, not of the presence or absence of contradiction. Contradiction is universal and absolute. It is present in the process of development of all things, and permeates every process from beginning to end. What is meant by the emergence of a new process? The old unity with its constituent opposites yields to a new unity with its constituent opposites, whereupon a new process emerges to replace the old. The old process ends and the new one begins. The new process contains new contradictions and begins its own history of the development of contradictions. As Lenin pointed out, Marx, in his Capital, give a model analysis of the movement of opposites, which runs through the process of development of things from beginning to end. This is the method that must be employed in studying the development of all things. Lenin, too, employed this method correctly and adhered to it in his writings. In his Capital, Marx first analyzes the simplest, most ordinary and fundamental, most common and everyday relation of bourgeois commodity, society, a relation encountered billions of times, namely the exchange of commodities. 
In this very simple phenomenon, in this cell of bourgeois society, analysis reveals all the contradictions, or the germs of all the contradictions, of modern society. This subsequent exposition shows us the development, both growth and movement, of these contradictions and of this society in the summation of its individual parts, from its beginning to its end. Lenin added, such must also be the method of exposition, or study, of dialectics in general. Footnote 9. Chinese communists must learn this method. Only then will they be able correctly to analyze the history and the present state of the Chinese revolution and infer its future. And that's going to do it for this episode. We will continue with this chapter next week uh, with a much longer, chunkier section now that the concept of a contradiction has been completely introduced. If you have any questions, comments, corrections, or suggestions, you can email leftistreading at gmail.com or contact the show on Twitter at leftistreading. This show is hosted on the Abnormal Mapping Network. You can go to abnormalmapping.com to find this and lots of other leftist podcasts. Our intro and outro music is Decisions by Eric Medias. You can find it and more of his work on soundimage.org. That's all for this week. Thank you for listening, and keep reading.